awesome. So I'm going to be talking about healing of the body, and I'm going to be talking through the book of Mark, well, the first half of the book of Mark. So the book of Mark is a really cool book, and if you want to know anything about healing, to me, that's the book I go to. That's, and there's, there's something about it that it really just captures the, the essence of who Jesus was. So we're going to be focusing on the first four chapters. I'm going to be picking out a few miracles that Jesus did and, and a few teachings that he did. And from there, we're going to learn a bit about healing. Are you keen for that? So Mark wrote this book to the Romans. And, he, and I, I'm guessing he had in mind, if I've got to explain Jesus to people that have never heard of him, okay, what do, what do I say? What do I write down? So, I mean, the Jewish people, whether they believed in Jesus or not, they still knew about Jesus because they, they knew of the prophecies that pertain to him from Isaiah and, and all of those, those old dudes. Um, so the Jewish, the Jewish culture knew of the Messiah. They, they knew of the concept. But the Romans, for them, you know, the, the emperor was the god. They had many gods. The idea of one singular savior being born to them was, was foreign. And then what would he look like and what would he do? And I think, and Mark is writing the book of Mark with this, with this in mind. Okay. And so in the first bit of, of Mark, he, he, he tries to, sort of tell people what Jesus is like, who he is. And the second part, which we're not going to focus on today, he focuses on Jesus' finished work on the cross. Okay, so open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. We're going to be reading a lot of scripture. So we're going to start at Mark 1. If you don't have a Bible, put up your hand. and You will be given a Bible. So the deal is, if you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to keep that one. If you do have a Bible at home, then bring it next Sunday, watching you. We need more Bibles. It's a good thing. I think there's some more Bibles in the crate down there, Alma. Okay, fantastic. So, open up your Bibles to Mark 1, verses 40 to 42. And while we're reading this, I want you, I want you to pay special attention to, to um, how Jesus reacts on an emotional level, because it really speaks of of his humanness. So we understand that that God came fully man and fully God, right? And Mark really tries to capture his humanness, and I think it's I think it's because so that we could relate to him better. Okay, so now. And while, while we're reading these, these uh, three miracles from the first three books of Mark, I really want you to pay attention to how Jesus reacts emotionally and how that leads him to do what he's going to do. So, um, first one, you can go to the next slide, please. So, we're going to read Mark chapter 1 from 40 to 42. Great. Okay. A leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Here, take note. Moved with pity. Say, moved with pity. He stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. 
and immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Okay? How did that action start? It started with seeing someone completely humbled by leprosy. I mean, the guy, the guy has disease ridden on his body and he comes and kneels in front of him, begging for healing. And Mark takes note that Jesus, moved by pity, out of that emotional reaction, having pity for the man, he stretches out his hand and heals him. Right? You got that? Okay, let's go to the next chapter, Mark chapter 2. From verse 1, we're going to read the first uh, 12 verses. Okay. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic man carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him and they had made an opening. They let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, say, saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their heart, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that the, they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the par paralytic? Your sins are forgiven or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose immediately, picked up his bed, went out before them all, that they were amazed and glorified goings, saying, We never saw anything like this. So that's annoying. You're trying to win an argument against Jesus, and then he goes and heals someone. It's not fair, okay? Um, I call foul play. So, so the, the thing that got this starting was Jesus was really impressed by this guy's friends. He saw their faith and said to them, your, your son, your, your sins are forgiven. Isn't that really cool? That you would, you would think by... By the mere fact of somebody being paralytic, that is cause enough for Jesus to heal the person, to forgive his sins. But Mark takes note that it wasn't that the person was a paralytic. It was because his friends had the guts to interrupt a church service, disrupt the order, if you will, and uh, bring in somebody that was sick. Isn't that cool? Okay, you taking note of this? Okay. Jesus is an emotional guy. What? So get himself together. What? Okay, Mark chapter 3. 3 verses 1 to 5. This is my favorite one. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that he might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger. Say, so looked around at them in anger. 
grieved at their hardness of heart. Say, grieved at their hardness of heart. And said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Okay, this is really cool. Because this time, Jesus was proving a point, and he was angry. So he doesn't have pity for the guy. He's not impressed by his friends. He's angry. Okay? And he's hurting in his heart that, that somebody would be so callous and so cruel that they wouldn't be able to help someone in need. Because it's a Sabbath. Right? You get this? It's like, Jesus, get your emotions under check, man. You can't just go healing people when you feel emotional. What about the law? It's the Sabbath. Get it together, man. But Jesus, but Jesus had something else in mind. Right? And he gets to this, I feel. And by the way, it's also interesting to note that at the end of Mark chapter 3, this is the one... That's the part where the Pharisees come to Jesus and say, um, by Satan you cast out demons. And Jesus says to them that a nation divided against itself will not prosper. Right? So here these Pharisees are coming and they're, trying to, they're just trying to move against him the whole time. They're just, they're just trying to bring this, this law. And Jesus is saying that there's, there's another plane on which I operate, okay? There's something else that I operate on, and I think he gets to this in uh, Mark chapter 4. So Mark chapter 4, Mark, the author, switches things up. So for the first three chapters, he's just recounted stories of what Jesus has done. And in Mark chapter 4, he switches that and starts to change to what Jesus was actually teaching at the time. Okay, so he's going from recounting events to teaching. What is Jesus te teaching? So what I, what I think Mark was trying to do was he was trying to show what Jesus was doing and then give an explanation for why he was doing what he said he was going to do. So we're going to go through Mark chapter 4, and we're going to go through some of the parables that Jesus shared, and uh, we're going to see if these tie together. Okay. So I'm going to start from um, chapter, from verse 3. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no roots, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and yielded no grain. Other seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then in verse 13, he explains the parable that he just said. He says this, Do you, do you not understand the parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Okay? So what he's saying is, in verse 13, this parable is the key to understand the other parables that I share with you. So if you get this one, okay, the other ones will sort of follow. Okay? The sower, verse 14, 
The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Okay? Verse 16. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Okay? This sound familiar? People get saved, find out Christianity's not exactly what they bargained for, don't come to church anymore. You guys get what I'm saying? Get behind me, Satan. Um, <laughs> verse 18, And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word, accept it, bear fruit, thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and hundredfold. Amen? So what Jesus is talking about, he's talking about the condition of people's hearts when they receive the word. And your heart has either four conditions. One, okay, your heart is completely unprotected. And no matter what I say to you, Satan comes, takes whatever's heard, and it's just like it bounces off you. It has no, and if you, if you find yourself in that category, that's a good, you're a good candidate to come for deliverance, encounter four, this weekend, okay? We're going to make sure that Satan gets out the way and those words can, can uh, get to you, lacquer, okay? Second condition, the, the people that hear the word, but... The, the, the soil is hard. The roots don't penetrate. They don't take root. Okay? And at the first sign of trouble, you know, they, they, they go. You ever heard of the word fair weather friend? Okay? When the weather's good, got lots of friends. Uh, like Eric Clapton says, you got lots of money, got lots of friends. You know, got a little money, you got no friends. And, and Christianity is very similar. It's like when things are good, there's a lot of people that are Christians. <laughs> when things are bad, it seems like they all disappear, right? And then the third one is, and um, and to me, this is this is the one that I I see more being more prevalent. Um, is the one with the with the thorns, okay? And it's and it's the people that that want to trust in God's word, but you know, like like Toby brought that awesome word. Thank you, Toby, for that word. You know, we, we're looking more at the problems of life. You know, I've got to pay my bills. I've got, I've got to provide. I want that job. And that becomes my life, you know. Um, I, you know, it, it, and it manifests itself sometimes in very innocent ways. I just want a wife. That's all I want. God, I just want a husband. That's all I want. And, and our lives are consumed by getting stuff and not getting Jesus. Amen? Okay? A husband and a wife can be an idol. Just going to say it. Okay? And then the fourth one is 
that seed falls onto good soil. Okay? And from there, let's see what happens. So the very next parable that Jesus tells from verse 21, he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest. Nor is anything secret except to come to the light. If anyone has ears to hear him here, what happens when a seed falls on good soil? There's light on a stand and people can see it. They see the transformation in your life and they want it. Okay? They're drawn like moths to a fire. Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. I'll leave that one there. Okay. Third parable. There's, there's actually four parables, but I'm just going to do three of them. This is the parable of the mustard seed. Okay. Very simple parable. With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable can we use it for? Verse 31. It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. So here's the really cool part. And this is what I feel <clears throat> that God is saying through this. It's like, you know, there's, there's like a one in four chance that that seed's going to fall on good soil. There's four different scenarios. But here's, here's the cool part. It just takes one candle, one small seed, to fall in the right place, and things happen. That is the Word of God. Okay? It just takes one word to catch. Okay? <clears throat> it's, like, it's like you apply for 100 jobs and you get 99 rejections. You just need one acceptance, right? And you got a job. You know what I mean? It's kind of like that. And it's the idea of perseverance. Almost favorite parable or story, should I say. It's not, it's a parable. That old lady that goes to the judge, where's my justice? And the judge gets so annoyed with her. He's like, fine, here's your justice. Get out of my, get out of my face, you know? And I feel like, like we've, We've lost that ability to really push in, you know, and just not give up. And I feel that's, that's good soil. It's not necessarily having a good feeling. It's just when that root takes hold, there's nothing that is going to move what you're going to do in my life, God. I just need one small mustard seed. One word from you, God, will sustain me. Okay, but here's the cool part. God doesn't just give you one word. <laughs> you only need one word, but he doesn't just give you one word. You understand what I'm saying? Okay. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 58. Is that my next slide? Now I'm losing track. Oh, wait, 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 before that. Before that. Actually, no, let's go to Isaiah 58. It's fine. 
I'm on a tangent. Let's just follow it. Not a tangent. Okay. Zion 58. So Zion 58 talks about true fasting. Okay, and this hit me like a ton of bricks. It's like the first nine verses of Isaiah 58 is like Mark chapter 4. Okay? It's the first, the first five verses, you got these guys, God's talking about these guys that are fasting, and they want the stuff of God, but really they want something else, and some are falling away, and some are staying, and God's just having none of it. Okay? It's like, I'm not impressed with your fasting. Let's, let's read from verse 1. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgressions, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteous and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted? You see it not. Why have we humbled ourselves, and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure, and oppress all your workers. Okay. Seek your own pleasure. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with wicked fists. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Sound familiar? First three scenarios. Right? Ulterior motives. Weak-minded people. You get it? Okay? Verse 6. This is where it gets cool. Is not this the force that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness. To undo the straps of the yoke. To let the oppressed go free. And to break every yoke. Just rem remember how Jesus responded when he was healing people. How it came from the heart. An emotional response it hit, like when he saw people, it hit him hard. It, it wasn't just something that he should do. Like, like, think about it. Like, often we think of healing as, well, it's, it's the right thing to do, right? I give money to the homeless because it's the right thing to do. I mean, does it touch your heart? Does your heart break for the things that break God's heart, right? When you're seeing somebody, are you moved? Are you, are you acting because you're moved out of compassion? Right? I think this is what Isaiah is getting in Isaiah 58 verse 6. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? Verse 7. And bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him. Look at that. That response from a sensory um, stimulus. And not to hide yourself from your own flesh. This is where it gets cool. Think of that parable. Lamp under a basket. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear God. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the speaker, uh, the, the pointing of the finger, and the speaking wickedness. Isn't that cool? So let's go to Luke 6 verse 45. Okay. Also echoed, just for the record, Mark 
7 verse 20. And Luke is talking about how it's not, it's not what goes into you that defiles you, okay? It's what comes out. And he says, very interesting, for, he's, he's noting what Jesus said, for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Why is it so important that if we talk about healing, we talk about the condition of your heart? Okay? That in the next, sorry, um, you're on the wrong slide. Let's just go one up. Yeah. In Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Okay? So from your heart, from the abundance of your heart, you speak. And what you speak carries life and death. Okay? Let me say that again. From the abundance of your heart, you speak. Okay? And what you speak carries life and death. How do I speak healing over somebody if there's crap going on in my heart? Right? How do I expect victory to reign over the country when I look at the political situation and think God can't do anything? Right? How do I expect healing to come over Amu when I've got hate for my brother over there. See, love and hate can't come from the same place. How can, I, how can I have compassion for someone to be moved by pity when I've blocked my heart against a family member, a father, a mother, a brother? How does, how does that happen? Because I, I, I can't... If I'm looking there, I can't see it happening. And, I, and I'm just feeling that God's saying that we need to, do, we need to unblock some wells tonight. And that those blockages, and we deal with this in Encounter 3 and Encounter 4 when we talk about emotional healing, spiritual healing. Okay? These are sometimes the things that have been done to us or we have done ourselves against our brother against our mother, against our father, against our sister. But we need to get to the place where we get our hearts right with God because He wants your light on a lampstand, not buried in shame. Amen? And then your healing will come speedily. And then your righteousness will, will go before you. And then the glory of God will come behind you. Isn't that cool? Don't you wonder that when you leave a building, instead of thankfulness, you leave the glory of God? <laughs> instead of people being thankful that you're leaving, they're amazed at the, at the glory of God. Amen? That's what I'd like. I'm, I'm watching you. Um, Nobody's impressed by a one two five, okay? <laughs> so where does Jesus start his ministry? Okay? Back in Mark one verse fifteen, he starts it with this. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good in the gospel. 
Where do we start? Oh, we got to repent. Okay. And I'm not, repentance isn't just about dealing with your sin. That is definitely a part of it. Repentance isn't about turning away from your sin, just turning on it. It's also about turning towards Jesus. Okay? So we're not, it's not that we're turning away from something, although you do need to turn away from your sin. So I'm not saying that you, can't ask, you mustn't ask for forgiveness. I'm saying that's, you've done half the job. The next half is to turn towards Jesus, his focus, his heart. Because he has the cool part, okay? Like I said, that sometimes, I think, I think when, I'm, when I'm talking about this, for some of you, this feels really daunting. And it's like, but you don't understand. I've got so much stuff that I need to sort out. I want, I want to be effective. I want to bring about change in my family, but I don't know if I can let go. I don't know if I can forgive. I want to forgive. I want to, but, you know, and sometimes the, the weight of the mountain to climb gets too much. But here's the really cool part. You just need one seed. And that seed, that one seed, can just be a revelation of who Jesus is when you turn to him. And that's it. Once that takes, there's nothing that's going to stand in your way. Are you with me? Let's stand together. Let's close our eyes. Father, we just want to thank you for your goodness, Father, that, that you sent to earth a Savior that came on a mission but wanted to connect with us and wanted to feel what we feel. Wanted to be moved by the things that, that, are, that are afflicting us. Father, some people need that revelation that when God looks at them, He's moved out of compassion and not scared or ashamed of them, oh Father God. When Jesus looks at you, He is moved by compassion. I want to say that again. When Jesus looks at you, He's moved out of compassion. He is not ashamed. He is moved out of compassion. And his compassion was so deep that he sacrificed himself for you. His response was ultimately to bear your sin and to bear your shame to death and to put it to death.